Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello and welcome to She Starts It with Angelica Malin, the podcast that celebrates incredible, inspiring women who are at the top of their industries, from food to fashion, law to politics. This is a podcast about celebrating female entrepreneurship, power and potential, exploring what it really takes to be a trailblazer in today's world. I'm your host, entrepreneur and journalist Angelica Malin, and every week I'll be asking a new guest for their three career turning points and answering the question we've all wondered at some point, how did she start it? She Started It with Angelica Malin is kindly sponsored by Bloom and Wild. If you're like me and you love having fresh flowers around you while you're relaxing at home, but I hate having to carry them around with me all day, and who's ever home long enough to arrange a delivery anymore? Bloom and Wild have got us covered. They're the UK's top-rated online florist, and they deliver right to your letterbox. So you can get fresh buds, ready to flower, they can last up to 10 days, and you don't even have to worry about being home for the delivery. They'll give you £10 off your first order with the code SHE. Straight and simple, S-H-E. They offer free next day delivery up to 10pm. They ship across the UK, France and Germany, so they've got you covered. So head on over to blueandwild.com, use the offer code SHE so they know I sent you, and treat yourself. Menly Whelan is the CEO of SoulCycle. Menly was appointed CEO of the company in June 2015. In her role, she oversees all aspects of the business. During her time, Menly has increased the company's geographic footprint to more than 90 studios in 18 markets across the US and Canada. Before joining SoulCycle, Menly was Vice President of Business Development at Equinox. She also held leadership positions with Virgin Management, where she was founding team of Virgin America and with Starwood Hotels and Resorts. Menly has been named Fortune's 40 Under 40, Fast Company's Most Creative People in Business and Mary Claire's New Guard Honoree. Menly is also on the board of the GO Project, a non-profit that serves academically struggling students in New York City. Menly graduated from Brown University with a degree in engineering and economics and lives in downtown New York. When not spending time with her husband and two children, she can usually be found riding at SoulCycle. Thank you so much for joining me. You're in London for the opening of SoulCycle. How has it been? It's been so exciting. Thank you so much for having me on today. No, I'm very excited. Well, I love SoulCycle. I must say, I haven't been to the one in London yet, um, but I've been in the States quite a lot and it is amazing. And I feel like the whole world has been waiting for it to open in the UK. So where have you taken class with us in the US? In, in New York. Oh, fantastic. In New York. Our, and, home, our home city. Exactly. And it's just, it's unlike anything, really. It's a, I, I really do buy into what you guys do and that it's such an experiential thing it's about the community it's about the vibe like you come off on such a high which I think is so amazing and I think we do have stuff like that in London but I don't know not in the same capacity I don't think I love having conversations with people who make my job really easy (laughs) yeah because if you've already bought in and you already understand that it's a transformative experience yeah then my job's actually quite easy here today I definitely do and I think the the chill element at the end as well is really important I I sometimes feel with classes that I come out on too much of a high Mm. and 
that yin and yang, especially living in a busy city, can be a little bit much and it can make you a bit stressed. So I think it's really nice to have a little, you know, a few moments of calm towards the end. I completely agree. So we go. I'm just maybe I should just be your PR. I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, un- at least unofficial it, brand ambassador. At least please come and try a class in London I so you can confirm will. with your listeners that it is the same experience well, that we deliver in the States. My state. digital editor um, has been three times since it opened, and um, we've only been open seven days. So, so that's impressive. pretty impressive. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. <laughs> I must say, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say this, but she was there, and Beckham was there. Mr. David Beckham himself. Who's that? David Beckham. I'm winking at you, which you can't see over the podcast. Yes, he did come in our opening day, actually, which is great. So uh, he has been riding with us for years in West Hollywood. So it's really fun to see him now coming into his his local. And I was like, is everyone having a meltdown? She was like, no, everyone's too cool. Like, no one's even really paying it any attention. I was like, wow. That's the age of Instagram, though, isn't it? The people... I don't know, there's that barrier because of Instagram that's just broken down because you just get to follow people so much more. You're less excited about celebrities. You know, we've always though treated everyone the same mm. in the studio. So everyone is just a rider to us in the best way, right? And so what that does is create a space, I think, for celebrities and for many of our influential riders that feels really secure and yeah. safe yeah. where there's such respect in the lobby that they're going to get a great experience and we're all kind of going to be in it together. Mm. So I think a lot of people find that while they may seek privacy in their personal life, that they can come to SoulCycle, ride in the dark to the candlelight, right, in, mm. a, in a room and have a really shared collective experience mm. while still being able to maintain some individual privacy. Yeah, it's kind of unifying. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit first about your career and your experiences on, of entrepreneurship. So I know that you grew up in a, an entrepreneurial household, that your dad was an entrepreneur. Um, can you tell me a little bit about those influences for you personally? Yeah, so I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland, and my father was an, always an entrepreneur, which back in the late 70s and early 80s was not as de rigueur, certainly, as it is today, where everyone is an entrepreneur. And he started messenger and transportation companies, uh, largely in Washington, D.C. We lived in Baltimore, so he commuted an hour and a half every day each way um, to these companies that he would start. So my earliest memories of him were getting up, him getting up very early and fitness was always really important to him. So he would go swim around five in the morning and then get on his commute on off to his jobs. And, you know, my mom was really involved as he built these businesses, you know, running payroll for him, helping set up offices with him. And so it was really this family affair, this this idea of both entrepreneurial spirit and creating these customer-centric businesses, but also this notion of really hard work mm. and self-discipline and what it takes to really build a business, which mm. I think sometimes, especially today in the age of Instagram, right, can look really easy and really glamorous. And the truth of it is, it's just one foot in front of the other every day. And it's a lot of hard work. And he has certainly inspired me and been a great mentor to me as Mm. we've built SoulCycle. Well, I totally agree. I think that element of graft is really not what people know so much. I think we do see an Instagram version of business, which is sort of sitting around at Soho House and having lattes, which (laughs) is what I put out as well. But actually, there's so much behind the scenes that is not very sexy, not very glamorous, but actually what gets it done and the challenges as well. Did you always know that you wanted to do something entrepreneurial, that you wanted to be a leader um, in the job that you have now? No, I actually thought I wanted to be an architect. So I studied engineering in college and my goal was to know enough about what was happening behind the walls that I could be a really powerful and influential architect because I could understand the structure of the buildings and everything that went into it. So that was my ambition. And about halfway through college, I was sitting up one night late in my dorm room And I had an assignment that I'd had 30 days to complete, and it was night 29, and I had to design a wind turbine. And I realized that I hated it. (laughs) 
And I had no idea how to design a wind turbine. And a wind turbine had no connection to my passion or what I thought I wanted to do. So I called my mom and I said, I don't want to do this anymore. And she said, then don't. And it was this real unlock for me of I think so often we put these pressures on ourselves of like I should be and I could be and I will be and you don't actually stop to reflect of am I on the right mountain? I know I'm climbing a mountain and I know I'm moving towards something but am I meant to be on this mountain or should I be over here instead? And that was a really pivotal moment for me because when she said, well, what do you love to do and what are the classes that you enjoy the most? I realized that entrepreneurialism and business was actually more in my blood than the engineering and the architecture. Mm -hmm. So I changed my degree, got a degree in economics to go along with my degree in engineering, and started my career in business after college and, and have pursued that ever since. Was that a scary realization? Did you ever have a moment with that where you're changing paths and you're like, oh, is this the right decision? Did you doubt that or did you just really flow and go with it and change well, your, change your um, decisions in that respect? You know, I think what I realized... And obviously in the phone call I made to my mom, right, whether it was because I was 20 or whether it was because we're always looking for approval or maybe acknowledgement from people around us, I felt like I needed her to sort of sign off on this sucks and I really don't like it. And she was so supportive in that moment. And so it wasn't scary, but I think sometimes we overthink things and we also think I should be doing that because I set out to do it when sometimes there's great power in saying I set off on a path and I, and maybe it's not the right path for me. So, yeah, I think it was scary. But now looking back, yeah. you know, and <laughs> the advice you give your younger self is like, don't take it all so seriously. It's just a college major. Mm -hmm. And I think what's so interesting now is, you know, workforces are evolving so much, right? Freelance economy and job creation and Completely new industries and companies and ways of doing business are being born every single day. So this notion of you're going to be something when you grow up, I think, is something of the past. I think if you think about Uber as a company, you know, the fact that someone is going to drive to your house, you're not going to know who they are. They're going to pick you up and you're going to get in a car with a stranger. When I was growing up, that was a no-no. You yeah. don't do that. Now it's the way of, of life, right? And that's created an entirely new industry and the ability for people to work part-time, make money as an Uber driver, and then pursue their passions in other parts of their lives. Imagine that, – that was 10 years ago and look mm -hmm. what they have built. Imagine what's coming in the next 10 years. And so I think the more we challenge ourselves to continue to say, what am I passionate about? Is this what I really want to be doing? And give ourselves the permission to be scared mm. when we make a change. I think great things are going to come of that because there's just so much innovation happening right now. Mm. I also think things like Forbes 30 Under 30 and a lot of these listicles that really kind of glamorize a certain age range. And I feel like a lot of my friends, I've seen it being like, if I don't have this all figured out by 30, mm. that's it. It's, it's almost as if at 30, everyone just drops off and you can no longer start businesses and you can't be really <laughs> successful. And I think there's this pressure kind of ingrained in us from quite young to be like, you have to have it figured out pretty early on, which is probably why you felt a bit stressed yeah. when you were like, I'm not doing the right thing and I have yeah. to change my major. Um, and I, I don't think that's good, actually, because sometimes going and get some experience first is the best way to then go start a business. Not even a question. Mm. And to think that you only have one chapter is folly, right? Yeah. There are many chapters to your life and you may have certain ambition by certain points, but the truth of it is, it doesn't matter. Just just be passionate. <laughs> so where did you go from there? What were your first jobs? What do they look like? 
So I ended up joining a company called Starwood Hotels out of college, mostly because most of my friends were going to be investment bankers, consultants, lawyers, or doctors, and I knew I didn't want to do any of those things. Mm-hmm. And so I, I joke that I was the last person hanging around on my college campus in May when Starwood finally came to recruit. And so I raised my hand and said, I'll do whatever you need me to do, and ended up as an analyst uh, at the time when Starwood Hotels, which is the parent company, um, or was the parent company, of Sheraton, Weston, W, uh, the St. Regis brands, 700 hotel um, real estate company based in White Plains, New York. I just said, this is great. I love hospitality and I love business and this will be a great first place for me to start. Um, I spent three years in that role learning so much about how a publicly traded company works, what corporate development means, brands, businesses, hospitality. And I worked in White Plains, New York, which for people here is a a suburb about 45 minutes outside of Manhattan. Mm -hmm. And so got up like my father every day, uh, went to work out and commuted an hour and a half each way to my first job. and worked – this was before laptops and before iPhones and before Blackberries. And so if there was work to do, you had to stay at your desk. And so stayed most nights till 10 or 11 o'clock at night. What did you do on your commute? It's so interesting. Are you ready for this? Did you read a book? I read – the yeah. newspaper. Wow. For an hour and a half. Well, I would read the newspaper in the morning and then I would read a book at night. Unbelievable. I'm I'm a big nerd. We can just get that on, on the table right <laughs> Let's now. Let's put it out there. You're a big nerd. <laughs> no, I love a bit of reading as well, but – Hour and a half, you know. You should share good book stories. You should tell me what you're reading or what you've read recently. Oh, I, just, oh. I feel like I read everything at once. I'm oh. reading a lot of books about women and money at the moment. I'm very into that topic. I read a good one called Open Up, The Power of Talking About Money, which oh. is quite good. Any any good takeaways? And we need to talk about it more. <laughs> that, was the, that was the main vibe. Investment was one of the big takeaways that women uh, don't get kind of educated on how they can invest. And mm-hmm. there's a big investment gap. So mm-hmm. that's what I'm trying to get better at. Love that. Yeah. You should bring some people on here that can talk about that. Oh, I, should. That's yeah. a good idea. I, I have some good ideas for you. Okay, note to self. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, talk to me about attributes. So you've gone into these quite challenging roles. Um, you went into Starwood. What kind of attributes do you think you developed while you were there? And what kind of led you to now being CEO of SoulCycle? What attributes do you think you need? So I think um, early in your career, you said this, actually. I totally agree. Just get a job, put your head down, do the work. And when the work is done, lift up your hand and say, is there more work to do? I just – I believe in that fundamentally because that's what I did. Um, I think it's how you learn the most is when you're pushing yourself and challenging yourself. And um, so I learned very early on that the more I asked for, the more opportunity I was given. Mm. Um, and I don't mean opportunity in terms of title or money. I mean opportunity in terms of exposure and work. And when you're doing interesting things, things and you're learning, that's how you start to advance in your career. So I think just asking how can I help is really powerful because you get exposed to to more things. Um, You know, probably one of my biggest lessons was, you know, after Starwood, I went to Virgin. I worked for Sir Richard Branson for five years on the launch of a domestic air carrier in the States called Virgin America. And from there, went to Equinox, the fitness company based in the States. And um, moving into that role in my late 20s was the first time I ever managed people. So I had been an individual contributor for most of my 20s mm-hmm. and then had people reporting into me. And I had people reporting into me who were more senior than I was, who were more accomplished than I was, and certainly had been within the business longer than I had been. And I thought, well, I'm a 
leader of people now and I'm going to come in and I'm going to have this, you know, sit down with them and we're going to come up with business strategy. And I really failed and I messed it up because I was trying so hard to prove my value and prove that I could help when the reality of it was the best way to start, I believe, in managing or leading any people is to just listen Mm -hmm. and to really understand deeply how their business works, what challenges they're facing, where they've come from, what their story is. So you get to know who they are first before moving into how can I help. And so after a year of being in that role, I was asked to step into a different role because maybe managing people wasn't my strength. And it was a real learning moment for me of two things. One is listen and build relationship before you try to help. And two is that every setback, we say this, it's all cycle, is a setup for a comeback. Anyone that tells me you can't do something, not only am I going to figure out how to do it, but I'm going to do it better than you even thought you wanted me to do it. And so that moment was very, very humbling, but I think one of the best and most pivotal moments in my career because Mm -hmm. I really learned uh, how to do it better. And I'm not perfect, but I certainly learned a lot Mm -hmm. then. It was a setup for a comeback. I love that. I want to get that tattooed all over me (laughs) every time something goes wrong. No, it's so true. And, you know, it's as true professionally as it is personally. When you're with a girlfriend and they have a problem, a relationship problem, you want to jump in with a solution. What you need to do is sit and listen for a little bit and perhaps not even say anything for a while and just hold the space. I do think we're a bit obsessed with just, I want to fix it and let's move on. Yes. It's interesting. I'm asked a lot, our instructors at SoulCycle, what it is that you look for, right? We have 400 people on the podium. We've got 93 locations. We run a lot of classes every day. And I always say we look for people who can hold the energy of a space. We can teach you to count backward from eight. We can teach you how to make a playlist. And we invest a lot in training and development of our instructors. But what our instructors really do is they hold space for people so that you could be there for a really hard workout because you're trying to lose five pounds to go on a girl's trip or to for your wedding. You could be there because you're having a really hard time in your personal life and you're working through a job change or something with your family. You could be there because you're overcoming something. You've got an illness. You could just be there with a girlfriend. Our job is to hold space for you to go through whatever you're going through in that room. And that's what makes them really magical. So I love Mm. that you just said that. Mm. Sometimes you just need someone to hold space with you. Yeah, absolutely. You said in an interview that your superpower is relentless positivity. (laughs) Can you tell me a little bit about that? So is that related to being uh, set up for a comeback? Um, I think, you know, I've I've got two kids. I've got a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old. And we have very close family friends whose children who are my kids' ages asked them, what's an optimist? What's that mean? And my friend said, Aunt Melanie. She's an optimist. And I think I've always been the sort of glass half full. We can figure it out. Anything is possible sort of person, whether it be in my career or in my education or just with my friends. And I think as a leader of a business where – You're growing so quickly. Things are happening all the time that are not going right. We make way more mistakes than we would like to. But your job is to lead people through that and to help them see if we figure this out, then we're going to get there and then we're going to get there. And so, you know, it's something part of it is innate and part of you just train your brain. Mm -hmm. And again, a lot of that happens in the room at Soul Cycle. You train your brain of like, I can move through this, I can push past this barrier and you bring people along with you. Mm -hmm. I think that, um, at least that's how we've built Soul Cycle. I also think optimism spreads so much quicker than pessimism. You know, you feel the energy of an optimist and you, you can't help but feel a bit uplifted by it, I find. But can't you also feel the energy of a pessimist? Yeah, I like to think, well, I suppose I'm optimistic in thinking that you feel the optimism more. 
Uh, <laughs> I've, gone into, I've gone into like Russian dolls of optimism. But no, I do. But I'm also an optimist. I think, I, to be honest, I think running a business, you have to be. You have to believe it's possible. You have to mm-hmm. be able to dream a little bit yeah. rather than thinking, oh, well, we can't do that. Or there's loads of things in the way. You have to move past that attitude. Mm-hmm. Are there any th- kind of personal hacks or things that you do to stay optimistic? So you said you go to spin. Are there any kind of things you do for your mental health to keep you happy and positive? One of our core values in the business, and we're very values-based at SoulCycle, is recharge. And you have to know what for you recharge means. Just because someone says, go home and get a good night's sleep, that might not be what you need to recharge. You may need to go out with girlfriends and go dancing or something. For me, my recharge is just spending time with my kids. I find it incredibly grounding. I'm obsessed with them. And when I'm with them, I have to be totally present, right? I've got a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old. If we're jumping on the trampoline or we're building a Lego kit, like we're doing it deeply. So I'm not you know, answering emails and I'm not thinking about work. I'm really with them. And so I just always encourage people for your recharge, figure out where you find presence. And if you find presence there, then you will unplug from everything else in your world. I I personally find a lot of solace and sanctuary in a soul cycle studio, in the darkness, in the candlelight, in the music, in the rhythm, in the tribal way that we move together. That is a great recharge. Being with my kids is a great recharge. But everyone is an individual and there's no one size fits all. Mm-hmm. I just know everybody needs to recharge. Yeah. And understanding what kind of personally works for you. We did an interview with a uh, behavioral change expert and she was saying that you have to diversify your coping strategies. So if you just have one thing that you do when you're feeling stressed or upset, whether it's a glass of wine or a bath, it's not good. You have to have a diverse range of things that you cope I with. Love that. Yeah, and it's really interesting. She said, for me, a bath is as problematic as a big glass of Chardonnay if it's the only thing you do. Yes. You have to have a diverse range. Although I have to say, there is something really nice about a bath. Yeah, like I love a bath. I was a bit like, well, how bad can a bath be? You just get really pruney if you have to. You can't look at your phone. <laughs> That's true. Which is great. Yeah, I mean, I, like, I love a bath. In London rentals, you never really get a bath. It's like a, I try. I was thinking you could do like an Uber where you could go rent someone's bath. But everyone said there was loads of like health and safety concerns. But I think it's a great idea. Like you never get in a London flat a bath, really. I love that you just said that. That is a big business idea that thank someone you. needs to thank figure you. out. Rent Uber, a bath. Thank you. There are a lot of health and safety. It could be women's only. Mm. It's... Listen, I've got to fine tune it. Reckless optimism. There you go. It's exactly. possible. Exactly. <laughs> I also thought about Shazam, but when you're sitting next to someone at like a press event and you need to know who they are. Oh, that's a great... I've got a lot of good, bad ideas. Uh, these are re- <laughs> Thank you. Listen, there's a big practical application for everything that you're coming up with. We just, you know, there's this great expression I use a lot. Vision without execution is hallucination. Mm. And so the vision is great, but you got to know how to get it done. So after this, we'll workshop some of okay, these ideas. Okay, cool, great. Yeah, the rent-a-bath concept especially. <laughs> um, I want to touch um, on SoulCycle as a business. So I read in an interview that you said that we don't really see ourselves in the boutique fitness space, but we believe that we're an experiential brand that is community-based and hospitality-driven. Can you share a little bit of insight about that? Absolutely. I mean, what we do in the actual room in the studio, it's a 45-minute journey that's physical, musical, emotional, and inspirational. And every one of our instructors knows how to take you on this journey, hold space in the room, and lead our riders to the experience. Because of what happens in that class, you then come out and you're in the lobby with 
55, 60 other people that have just gone through that shared experience. And then you have another 60 people that are coming in for the next class. And what that creates in the lobby is this alchemy of humanity sort of thriving together. And connections are made. Friendships are made. Our head of legal affairs met her husband at SoulCycle. So that social connection and that community – that's actually what we're all about. Mm. And our front desk staff, they're all trained on hospitality. We hire for attitude and aptitude. We want people that want to be the best part of our riders' days. And so you just have this very shared communal experience. And ultimately, the people come to us for the fitness, right? On its core, it's a 45-minute indoor cycling workout. What they really stay for are those breakthroughs in the room and the connections in the lobby. Mm-hmm. And I think increasingly with technology, we do feel quite disconnected. And anything that can bring people together without their phones is really powerful. Well, humans are social creatures, right? They, we want to be together. We're just really struggling to figure out how these mm. days. Mm. And it really bothers me when people say, you know, we're more connected than we've ever been. If you actually look at the statistics and the data, we're actually lonelier than we've ever been. We're unhappier than we've ever been. And I think it comes from spending time on social channels, looking at other people's lives, assuming that they're having more fun, that things are better. Mm. And the truth of it is, we just should be with each other in real life more. Mm-hmm. And so that's the, I think that's the notion that SoulCycle is trying to solve for, mm-hmm. which is, you know, in our heart, it's fun. Mm-hmm. It's just fun without technology for 45 minutes. Come and listen to music in the darkness. I guarantee no matter who you are, you're going to feel better. Mm, I agree. What are some of the challenges with expanding? I mean, you've got so many studios now. How do you expand and keep that ethos and keep that vibe and make sure the quality is still there? Yeah, it's a great question. And that's probably the, you know, the greatest challenge for us as we continue to grow is we're in the experiential people business. You know, this is a live experience every hour on the hour. We treat it as a curtains up, curtains down live production. And it's a ballet that happens between our staff and our instructors all in the studios to make that come to life. So every single person that works at SoulCycle really matters. They're a part of every detail that we create. And so finding those people training those people and then retaining and rewarding those people, that's how we've been able to build this. But that takes a lot of work, right? Mm. And so making sure that your whole team really understands this is the type of person that we're hiring for. This is what we look for. This is what we reward and acknowledge at the end of the year, the kind of behaviors um, and results that we like to see. It's much more about people and connection than it is about financial results. Mm. Now, I think the reality of it is that you know the company has been We've done a, a pretty good job of growing. We're, you know, very high growth top line, very profitable business. But it all comes from the discipline of having great people who are leading these experiences. And and uh, I joke a lot, it'd be a lot easier to be scaling T-shirts or salads or coffees or sandwiches um, than scaling human being mm, experience. Because mm, mm. when you're scaling experience, it has to match up. It has to be an amazing 100%, experience. Yeah. 100%. But what's so cool, and I can just talk about London because I've been here for a week now, mm. and I've seen we have seven instructors here. We have four from the U.S. and we have three British instructors. The U.S. instructors have been teaching with us for anywhere from two to six years. The British guys we've had with us in the States for four months, and we've just sent them all back together. They have created this tribe among them in a way that is so joyful and so celebratory. In fact, when I left the studio to come here, two of our newer instructors were walking in to take class 
with one of our more seasoned instructors just on their time off. They're choosing to be in each other's rooms. Mm. And that kind of camaraderie and collaboration, mm. that's how we've built this. Was there anything specific with launching into the UK market that you had to consider? Lots. Um, you know, I would say every market that we open, and we're in 18 markets now in North America, we take a very cultural and anthropological almost approach to opening those markets. So Houston, Texas, when we opened there, 12 months before we go into the market and we really understand what kind of music do people like to listen to? Where else are they working out? Uh, where, when are the school drop-offs? Where's the grocery store, the coffee? Where are people spending time? And so by understanding the local community, we then cast our team and curate our experience around what it is they're looking for. And we have done that in every market that we've opened because in the States, the type of music and the type of workout that our riders in Palo Alto, California or Seattle, Washington or Dallas, Texas want, they're a little bit nuanced, right? Because we're human beings and culture is based in community. And so we've taken the same approach in London. We came – we've been studying this market for years now. Really? But really trying to understand what kind of music, what kind of workout. You know, The big thing here was do they really want to hoot and holler and wave their towels the way we do in the States? Are we a little too positive and happy clappy? And I'll tell you, I've been in the room now for seven days. You all were just waiting for permission to wave your towel really? in there. Oh, oh my gosh. This is a more enthusiastic bunch than some of the ones I find in New York. That's absolutely fascinating <laughs> to me because I would have thought that, yeah, we're far too cynical and we're very British and we don't want to show too much emotion. How interesting. Yeah, we just needed permission. We were ready to take it easy on you guys. But, you know, you throw We've the... We've been unleashed. You put... You, the beat drops and the lights go down and the towels come up and the whole thing is... Uh, it's it's pretty it's pretty magical. That's absolutely amazing. That's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I, I definitely wouldn't have expected it, but I think that's brilliant. Let us free. SoulCycle's gone plastic-free. Can you tell me a little bit about that and how important do you think it is for businesses to be environmentally conscious? Oh, I think it's it's absolutely imperative as business to make smart decisions for the communities ultimately that we're in. And sustainability is a big initiative for the company. We're actually launching some of our global programs here because another example of us studying the market over the last few years is we recognized the sensitivity culturally here to that. And so rather than having plastic water bottles here, we are renting water. So for a pound, we'll give you a refillable water bottle and we have triple filtered water that you can use in the studios, you know, all the way through to no plastic sweat bags in the bathrooms because we were finding that we were going through reams of plastic sweat bags. So now we're selling reusable ones. And there's a handful of other decisions that we've made to try to limit our uh, footprint. Mm. Um, here. And we're really excited about both the response and also how we've been able to operationalize this here. And we think it's we think it's the future for how we want to build. With um, with environmental impact, do you think that there's more pressure on the businesses or on the consumers for, to bring about change? Well, I think the consumers are putting the, pressures on, the pressure on the businesses. Yeah. And so if you look at you in the States right now, there's this huge conversation around uh, no plastic straws. And I have made a commitment. I go to Starbucks every morning in the States. They We do these sippy lids now, they're called, instead of straws. And I came here and I went, went into the Starbucks and I said, can I have a sippy lid? And they said, no, we don't do those here yet. We only do that for, I don't know, certain things. And I thought it's so interesting that the approach is different in the States versus here. And then 
I was I left for a couple of days and came back, and they now have the sippy lids at the Starbucks. And so I just wonder, not saying that I had any impact on that, but yeah. the consumer is speaking, right? The consumer is saying, this is the direction I want to go. And the more businesses mm-hmm. that make commitment, then more the expectation goes up for the consumer, the more businesses are required to make change. And if you look at, at least in the States, the entrepreneurialism around building sustainable businesses, mm-hmm. whether they be B Corp or just healthy supply chain, that innovation is driving the level of expectation up for the bigger in businesses that are more incumbent. And I think ultimately it is all going to drive us to a better place. Yeah. And I think also people are a lot quicker to go on social media to call businesses out. People aren't kind of safe in a way that they once were for the way that they act. So, you know, if you get a grocery delivery and it's full of plastic, someone will take a photo and they'll put it online. And mm-hmm. there'll be a whole storm around it. Mm-hmm. So we have to, I think businesses have to be a lot more careful of, of what they're doing environmentally. I want to touch quickly on female empowerment. There's been a lot of talk recently about brands kind of peddling empowerment as part of a marketing strapline and using empowerment because it's kind of trendy to promote their efforts. I've always seen SoulCycle as really empowering for women. And I was interested to know whether that was kind of internally something that was ever part of the brand ethos. It was just something that happened kind of naturally from the way that you operate the business and how amazing the classes are. Yeah, I think, well, for us, it's always naturally been part of who we are how we lead and how we operate. We were founded by two women who had children at the time. So this idea of work-life integration and creating space for mothers to be able to have a family and have a great career, something that was just part of how we built the company from the beginning and something that I've continued to invest in to make sure that we have as an opportunity, both for mothers and for fathers, you know, for I think now especially, there needs to be empowerment of the family, right, to be able to make those choices and have alternatives, whether it be working from home, whether it be paternal leave. All of this is, you know, programs that we've continued to look at and evolve over time. I just know I lead from a place of authenticity in my business, and I have a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old, and sometimes you really want to be at that concert, or sometimes Mm -hmm. somebody's sick, and you need to take care of them. And so, you know, provided the work is getting done, I just believe that it should be a place that is very comfortable for you know, families to have a great career and also balance their lives. Mm, the UK is definitely waking up to flexible working. I feel like it's taken quite a long time, but we are seeing quite a lot of shifts. Do you think the US is similar? I think everything takes too long. That's why I'm leading a you know, high growth entrepreneurial business. Yeah. But I do think there is so much change happening right now. And I say this a lot to my girlfriends. I think this is a really exciting time to be a leader because I think we have more opportunity than ever and more ability to make more impact mm. because exactly as you said, the transparency that the customer is expecting of leadership, of customers. You know, in California recently, we were uh, legislated that boards in California need to have an equal mix male-female in the next three years, I believe. And that is just going to open so much opportunity for women to get a seat at the table, which they probably wouldn't have been able to for generations. And so I think it's a combination of groundswell from customers talking and people talking to government intervention in certain cases Mm -hmm. to make some of these structural changes are creating this really exciting moment of change. It's interesting because we we have something similar in the UK where they had to be mixed boards. And then what we were saying was that you were just having one woman on a board. And they were like, that's that's that box ticked. Mm -hmm. There's one woman. And now that's also becoming outlawed that it has to be more than one woman. You can't. It has to be proportional. 
So it'll be interesting to see how that develops as well. Because I think there are still these things in place, but they're not. It's not happening quick enough. So we're having to go kind of going above and beyond to try and equal it, get more women in senior leadership positions, and everything like that. Well, that's what I think is really interesting. So the the board seats will open up, but will there be enough qualified women? Mm-hmm. And so what one of the things I think a lot about is how we fuel this pipeline of women who are capable and have the experiences of sitting on these boards and taking on these leadership seats. And it's it's really going to take, I think, training programs and access to opportunities and real mentorship of this next generation. And, you know, I count myself in that. There are countless women who have leaned back and said, let me help you. Here's how to think about it. And I, I, I feel very blessed to mm-hmm. be able to have some of those conversations because you just want to make sure that when you're asked for that role, whether it be a VP of something or whether it be a C-level role or whether it be a board seat, that you're ready. Mm. And I think that's also a big thing that I've seen kind of anecdotally with my girlfriends. They'll get offered something and they don't feel like they're ready and they're not as willing to take the leap in a way that perhaps my boyfriend would be like, yeah, I'll just give it a go because there's this sort of more innate self-confidence whereas women really want to be super ready before they step up in the ladder and that's also kind of problematic. Hugely. Hugely. Yeah, Yeah, I have a a great story about that that I've I've spoken about before when I, I used to I was the chief operating officer of the company for years and my founders were the co-CEOs and they were stepping out of their seats. I came home and I said to my husband, they're going to bring a new CEO in. You know, I run, I'm the COO. And he sort of looked at me and I said, well, you know, I'm running the business and they're probably going to want someone that's been a CEO before and has taken a company through global expansion. And, and I sort of reasoned my way through it. And he just, he looked at me and he said, you're going for that job. You're taking that job and you deserve that job. And he just walked out of the kitchen. And it was this moment we talk about a lot in our marriage where he said, if if you hadn't have gone for it, I don't know if I would have respected you in the same way. And to see you have this self-doubt as such a positive, recklessly optimistic person, he said it was just such a moment for him and our relationship to be like, no, no, my job is to tell you that you got it. And I remember saying to him, if this were you, he said, if it were me, I would have asked for that job two years ago. <laughs> so exactly. We just have to train I, that confidence. I'm fascinated by that, how that happens because like, it can't be innate in all of us. It must be something small in the way that we're brought up that we have to feel fully prepared or we don't really believe we can do it. Like I don't know if it's an imposter syndrome thing. I don't know what it is. But I know that I think more female representation in leadership will help encourage the next generation and show them that they can get to those roles as well. I don't, I don't know. I've got a nine-year-old son and a seven-year-old daughter. So I feel like I'm a living Petri dish of gender dynamics. And I can tell you, my nine-year-old will literally make up things that are out of this world. He'll be like, you know what, mom, this, the sky is green. Yeah, I know you're in London and, and I'm in New York City. I'm going to tell you right now, the sky is green. And I'll say, look, that's actually not possible. No, 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 it is. And then my husband will lean into the FaceTime and say, I don't know what he's talking about. But he says it with such confidence yeah. and conviction. For one minute in my mind, I'm like, is it green? Something <laughs> happening? And it's just – I don't know. Part of me feels like it's uh, just nature, yeah. not nurture. Yeah. No, but I all I'm trying my hardest to nurture my daughter so that she's got that level of confidence to yeah. say as many outlandish things as my yeah. son does. Get her to say the sky is green. Exactly. I just think we should all channel that male energy. <laughs> I want to tap, tap into it, make it into a soft drink. So tell me uh, just quickly about mentorship. Have you actually had any mentors yourself in a formal setting or have they kind of all come informally through the course of your career? Yeah, I have mentored 
is to me is like a 360 degree thing. Um, you know, my father was probably my greatest mentor and inspiration over the years, just watching him build businesses and, and helping lean in and, and uh, explain to me what that took. I also have a millennial mentor in my, our office, and this is someone who's a generation behind me, who helps me think about just sort of consumer tastes as well as um, trend and culture mm. for that group of people. Because I think sometimes as we sit in our C-level meetings and we're making decisions for the business, we don't soundboard enough with ultimately a huge portion of our consumer base. And so twice a year, I spend half a day with my millennial mentor out in the world, kind of exploring where she's consuming, what she's seeing, and asking a bunch of questions as well. That's amazing. What did you do on your last day out? um, Let's see. Our last day out, we went to this really crazy experiential activation in Soho that I have to say we both thought was kind of a bust, but she said everybody was talking about it. And so in that experience, I said to her, why do you think everyone is talking about it when you and I both think this is really lame? And so we sort of unpacked the power of social media and the nuance of the experience. And then what we did was you know, SoulCycle, we have these pop-up experiences. We were just in Cannes and uh, we're doing another uh, pop-up experience in New York in August. It helps me think about, okay, we have to have these hooks or these experiences that are part of the story that get it, make it viral in the way that did. So that's just one example mm-hmm. of just the things that we sort of learn. And then what I always try to do is apply whatever it is that we're talking about or the lesson back into the business in a way that because she works at SoulCycle as well, we both have the context of the company as much as the context of the culture. I think it's such a useful thing to do because you can just get so blinkered when it's when you're really in the business and you need to take it in the context of the wider world and what's happening, especially in New York where there's just so much kind of crazy cool stuff happening the whole time. Got to be super on zeitgeist, I suppose. Yes. Thank you so much. You've been the most amazing guest. If people would like to come to SoulCycle in London, where should they come? They should come to our Soho location at 3 to 4 Great Marlboro Street, just down the street from here. Are there any plans to open another one? We do have plans. We're going to be opening three more Soul Cycles this year. So keep your eyes in peeled. London. Uh, in London. Oh, oh, yes. Oh, wow. So you can come to our website. It's soul-cycle.com. And all of our signups go live Monday at noon for the week. You can learn a lot more there about our instructors and the music and everything that it is that we create. Or you can just call the studio and walk in. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. This is really fun. So fun. I want to come to New York. Spin with you. Well, you'll let me know when you are. We'll do it together. Fantastic. And then we can work on the rent-a-bath idea. <laughs> A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. (laughs) Thanks for listening to She Starst It with Angelica Malin. If you've enjoyed this episode, then don't forget to subscribe, rate and review. And you can follow me on Twitter at Jelly Mayland.
My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.